What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Before we get rolling, I just want to quickly shout out the three companies that are supporting this show. The first is CoinKite. You've probably heard of them. They are the makers of the Bitcoin, the gold standard Bitcoin hardware wallet, the cold card. Phenomenal device. If you're not taking custody of your Bitcoin, this is an excellent way to do so. And of course, if you're looking to round out a multi-signature scheme, it's compatible with several wallets to do just that. Lots of other fun products in the store if you're a Bitcoin enthusiast. I highly recommend you check them out. Go to coinkite.com to learn more. If you're buying Bitcoin in Canada, bullbitcoin.com is the place to do it. Go there, have a receive address ready, so generated from your cold card hardware wallet. Put it in in your buy order, and as soon as you buy Bitcoin, the exchange never holds your money. They send it directly to your own storage, your own address. And that means that they can never, you know, a fuck up or a rogue employee can never steal your Bitcoin it goes directly from your purchase order into your custody. If you want to maximize security and privacy, I think that's the way to do it. They are also the people behind BitcoinSupport.com. We all know people in our lives that are terrified of engaging with Bitcoin. Maybe they're interested, but they don't know how to get everything set up. That's what BitcoinSupport.com is for. They hold your hand, make sure you know how to buy it, secure it properly, and then you're off to the races. Check them out if you or someone in your life falls into that category. And finally, the Bitcoin 2022 conference, April 6th to the 9th in Miami. It's going to be a massive party celebrating this emerging culture and this emerging or this emergence of freedom in the world. And uh, there's going to be a lot of phenomenal speakers. Apparently, Nayib Bukele has another big announcement this year. And to top it all off, the Sound Money Fest is a big giant party for us all to get down with our homies and plebs. Steve Aoki and Logic are headlining. Dead Mouse is going to be performing. I'm sure it's going to be an awesome time. I can't wait. Uh, use the code RAPIDFIRE at checkout to get yourself 10% off. That's it. Enjoy. Let's do it. Boys, how are you? Very well. How are you doing, John? Doing very well. Um, this has been a long time coming, actually. You know, we got Bitcoin 2022 uh, just around the corner, and we met at the Beefsteak last year, and we were having a good conversation. We thought we should put something together, and here we are almost a year later, but it's good to be connected and you boys have had an active uh, nine months or so. So how's it been going? It's been good, man. Yeah. I think the delay is mostly, mostly our fault. So apologize for that, but it's good to be uh, finally connecting and hopefully so, we can break bread at another beefsteak relatively soon. Yeah. Has there been word of the beefsteak yet? Am I out of the loop or what's going you on know, with that? I, I was actually, um, I was with the, the man behind the beefsteaks uh, himself yesterday uh, at an airport. Um, just happened to happen to bump into him. Uh, you know, aside from his initiative for personal beefsteaks to go, um, he, he, I think there is. Uh, I, I'm certainly hope, hoping that there will be a, a beefsteak in, uh, in in Miami in a couple in like a month's time now. But um, yeah, it's certainly it's crazy because talking uh, when we last talked at Bitcoin 2021. This certainly isn't the timeline that I would have uh, predicted happening, uh, but it's been it's been definitely an exciting and eventful last uh, nine months. All right, before we go on, so he didn't give you any any clues about a Miami beefsteak. I, I I'm betting that one will happen, but I got no right. clues. I see. He's sworn to yeah, see. I haven't seen the invite go out or anything or the sign up link. Right, Although I, AJ and I have 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 dropped whatever we're doing to fly to a beefsteak before, so. Um, if, if, if there are beefsteaks, we will do our best to get there. It was, it was an awesome one last time. I mean, just 
in the moment, it's all just fun and great. And all your homies are there and you're talking Bitcoin and it's just magic. Right. But when you step back and think about it, I mean, you're there, you know, eating fistful, you know, eating fistfuls of, of beef and like to your right is a sitting U S Senator and to your left is like a, uh, NFL and then, you know, all in between, like all of the Bitcoin people, you know, it's just, it's such a funny, I mean, it's such a, so amazing how many people and what types of people this is bringing in, you know, and I don't think it's surprising to any of us, but those, those occasions, you really get to see the, I guess the diversity of people that really appreciate ultimately freedom. And that's a powerful concept, I guess. 100%. I mean, I can think of a few better places to meet your heroes, uh, certainly within the Bitcoin space. I feel like I've, I've met most of most of mine at Beefsteaks. Um, but then it's just amazing to see people bring their families too uh, and bring, bring their wives, uh, sometimes their kids. And it's just, um, it, it's a really beautiful tradition that Josh has started. And you yeah. also get to eat some of the best food that you'll find anywhere. Yeah, and some wholesome, wholesome stuff all around. So when we last spoke, you guys were uh doing mining things at galaxy i believe how mm -hmm. did i mean tell me about cathedra and how you guys got involved in that yeah so i guess i guess that's right we so we, we met in april last year drew and i ended up leaving galaxy over the summer of 2021 and you know kind of our, our tentative plan was to start our own mining company we have both kind of had this entrepreneurial itch and have been you know, for the for maybe going back to college, kicking around the idea of starting businesses with each other. And so uh, we left Galaxy and we're planning on just raising like a small round from friends and family and building out a mining site and trying to bootstrap something. And then uh, it was actually at, at another Bitcoin conference, Bitblock Boom, in August of last year that a good friend of ours and uh, maybe our... Uh, yeah, another another Bitcoin well-known Bitcoin podcaster, Marty Bent, approached us uh, to tell us he was joining the board of a, a publicly traded Canadian Bitcoin mining company called Fortress Technologies. He heard that we were departing from Galaxy and uh, basically asked if we wanted to come on and, and help run the business and replace the outgoing CEO at Fortress. So, I think actually the the exact Telegram message that he sent. Um, uh, he'd sent Asia was how would you feel about being CEO of a publicly traded mining company? Yeah, it was a, it was a Twitter DM. <laughs> Twitter DM yeah. What was your response? I mean, I was like, I think I was a little, uh, a little skeptical. Um, you know, if you spend enough time in the mining space, you learn to, uh, to, to be skeptical of anything when it sounds too good to be true. So, uh, but yeah, then we met up at Bitblock Boom and over, you know, a couple beers, maybe a couple more than a couple beers, we uh, kind of got into some of the details and yeah, it sounded like a great opportunity. So super excited to be to be on board and leading now what is Cathedra. We, we've since changed the name, but yeah. What was your actual response to Marty's message? Like, I, I, I understand why you might be, there might be some trepidation, but like, what did you actually respond to? No. I could tell you word for word what I responded right now. <laughs> I uh, scrolled through my DMs here. But yeah, it was uh, it, it was it was pretty funny because uh, oh wow, it's 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 not that not that long ago in the in the DM history. No. Um, Marty only reaches out when he's making deals. Marty, right? goes, Marty goes, "You want to be the CEO of a mining company, publicly traded." 
I said, uh, wow, what a question. It would depend on a lot of factors. My base case right now is starting my own mining company, but I'd be interested in being CEO of an existing company if it made sense. So cautiously. Measured. <laughs> um, and so tell me about how, you know, it became a done deal to the extent that you can disclose, of course. So uh, I quickly kind of looped in through because, you know, as I said, our plan was to do something together. I still, I, I still wanted that to be the plan. And so, um, yeah, I kind of sat down with Marty over beers at, at this conference and made it clear that, you know, we were pretty intent on doing something together. He thought that was awesome. Didn't have any issues with it. Cause I mean, so just for context, we'd, we'd known Marty for, for years going back to kind of the, the meetup scene in New York. Uh, Drew, Marty, and I all kind of lived in the same neighborhood for a couple of years, and we would see him for beers at some of the meetup stuff. So we're all we were all pretty close with each other at that point. And um, yeah, Marty, Marty was excited about it. We we quickly kind of met the rest of the board. Um, the, the chairman of the board is a guy named Roy Sabag, who's been a kind of a great mentor to Drew and me. And you know, we got along super well after interviewing with him and meeting him over the summer. So it was a pretty quick, seamless process. I think by the end of September, we were formally on board. And, you know, this is a conversation that happened the last week of August. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Roy would be familiar to people in the Bitcoin scene because for a while there he was, you know, repping the gold side of the Bitcoin v. gold argument. And I'm actually blocked by Roy. So I can't really see what his, uh, his messages and tweets are these days. But um, yeah, I mean, you say he's a mentor to you guys and, you know what uh, in what kind of capacity if you if you don't mind sharing what kind of value do you get from that relationship yeah i mean i think he's uh undeniably brilliant um a, a tremendously intelligent person and um you know it's 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 funny i mean we our, our interview process was just going and seeing his family um and he i think he just has uh he's thought deeply about a lot of things in the world I, I think he, when I think about role model of someone who prioritizes their family and sort of intellectual pursuits and, and impactful work, I think uh, he, he is absolutely, I think hits all those buckets. And, um, and he's, he's done a very good job, I think, of, he's, he's just been like a, a fantastic teacher in terms of what it means to run a public company. He's been investing in commodities related businesses uh, for most of his career, he, he uh, I believe he did not go to college and just is much, you know, he's an autodidact in many respects. Um, and as a result, I think knows more than basically just about anyone I know who did go to college and, you know, a traditional like four year university setting. Um, and so, yeah, just having him sort of give us some guidance on what it means to run a public company strategically, what are the things you should be thinking about? Uh, it's been, it's been really valuable. And then even on a personal level too, you know, I think he, he was definitely in a, in a position sort of like us where most people that are run public companies or that are in charge of public investment vehicles don't really get that responsibility when you're in your mid twenties. Um, and so he's done a really great job too of, uh, yeah, just sort of being a mentor on more personal development and like uh, philosophy related issues as well. Right. Yeah. He, he I think gets a bad, he, he doesn't get a, a, a fair shake from the Bitcoin community. He, he's, he's the right kind of Bitcoin critic. He's the kind you want like his he's an incredibly sophisticated and nuanced worldview 
at the end of the day, he's a sound money advocate. He's a lover of freedom. And, uh, you know, he's not a, he's a Bitcoin critic, but he's not a Bitcoin opponent. He's, you know, he's the chairman of the board of a Bitcoin mining company. And he was actually a co-founder of another Bitcoin mining company, BitFarms. And so uh, he, he's got a, a pretty sound understanding of it and he supports it. I think he's just a, uh, he criticizes it because he wants to see it succeed and he knows how important the, the mission we're trying to achieve here is. Yeah. Well, to be fair, it's tough. It's tough to get, how should I put this? You're probably going to get a rough treatment from the Bitcoiners if you just go on blocking sprees based on uh, valid interactions and stuff. I mean, I'm by no means a, tro a troll, right? And so there's probably, uh, it's probably not entirely undeserving that he, he's gotten a little bit of that kind of treatment, but it's good to hear that he's been a useful and, and valuable mentor to you guys. Have you convinced him that gold is going to be demonetized over the next decade yet? I think we've learned to uh, <laughs> a conversation we're going to resolve with him anytime soon. We, yeah. We've agreed to disagree on that one. Right, right. Um, so why, uh, why Cathedra? Just out of curiosity, the name change. Yeah, so it was a labor of love coming up with the name. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with the name Fortress Technologies, which is the legacy name of the, of the company. Um, of course, it does so happen that Fortress is a fairly common name in other aspects, like Mike Novogratz, founder of Galaxy, he was also co-founder of Fortress Investments, which is you know a massive asset manager. Um, AJ and I were really just kicking around ideas for for about a month or so, um, trying to figure out you know what are the like what what's a name that that appropriately represents our values or a key part of our value um, when we think about Bitcoin mining, and so. We, we must have gone through many a, a Greek and, and Latin dictionary mm -hmm. uh, looking, looking for compelling root words that also sounded nice. And I, I think, um, yeah, it, Cathedra in the end, I feel like it championed a lot of the, the things that we think are most important. Um, whether it's, you know, the, it, there's obviously a religious connotation that I think we both like. Um, but when you think about cathedrals, and this, this is the, the Bitcoin as a cathedral, uh, comparison or mean has been mentioned a couple of times, uh, whether it's Ross Stevens or Nick Carter, but it's just an intergenerational project um, that you know brings humanity together, united by a vision of you know uh, a, a better future, or bringing some beauty into the world that that benefits humanity. Um, Higher purpose, long generational timescales, low time preference. Those are all kind of the themes that we wanted to, to weave into it. And yeah, as Drew said, the, the religious connotation is not lost on us either. It's, uh, it, was, it was actually kind of intentional. Like, you know, without, without sounding blasphemous here, we, we think it kind of hints at the, the seriousness of the, the mission and the, the project that we've undertaken here. Why would that be blasphemous? Well, I, I think people... Uh, you mean blasphemous toward people who hold traditional religious beliefs? Is that what you mean? Sure, sure. Right. Like, I mean, we, we kind of joke about Bitcoin as a religion. And, you know, John, these are some themes that you've explored in your podcast and writing. But, uh, yeah, I think people who aren't as familiar with Bitcoin and don't really appreciate the transformation, the, the personal and, you know, perhaps spiritual transformation that it can lead to might, might uh, think that you're being uh, a little bit irreverent by making those comparisons. Right. right. Fair enough. 
Yeah, I like the name because I often think about Bitcoin not only as this multi-generational project like a cathedral and all the, you know, the meaning that gets imbued into something like that, but even in being able to turn your own life into a cathedral, right? To have such a bedrock stability and foundation, you know, bedrock of security, let's say, that liberates you to devote your energy and your time and your resources towards something of far greater meaning and to to have the confidence that you can give to that the requisite time and energy no matter how much it requires of you because of because you don't need to be so concerned with whether or not you'll be able to persist or maintain that throughout your life so you you, you end up being able to construct a life uh that is a process of actualizing or manifesting the things of the greatest value and meaning to you and that is kind of the idea of a cathedral but you know your your life as a cathedral you know so I, I thought it was a great yeah. choice of name from that perspective yeah i really like that I, I've, I've never thought about life like that before but the i think security and stability um component that is sort of foundational to that is is really important right like that's one of the reasons why you want um to store your wealth in censorship resistant money right with you know and um in, in a sound money because at the end of the day if you yeah, if you can sort of get rug pulled in the financial side of things, you're really not that secure, and your your existence is quite fragile if you're, um, you know, if if you're always dependent on counterparty risk, or um, it, you know, if you're beholden to risk that you didn't intentionally sign up for. Um, that's totally. that's a really interesting. Yeah, I mean, also, this is. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just thinking too about the um, there's like say the monetary aspect of, of stability, but also then of having. Um, thought deeply about a worldview and principles and what are the most important things in life to you so that you are defining your values and they aren't defined for you. Um, it's really interesting. Well, this is, you know, this is the phenomenon that we're all kind of wrapped up in and it's easy. Well, there's a necessity to focus on like the pragmatic engagement with such a thing. You know, you want to stack as many sats as possible. You want to contribute to the, the growth of the network and stuff like, and the security of the network and stuff like that. But we are the first cohort of people, perhaps ever, to experience this degree of freedom via this tool that has now been developed. And so, you know, no, no human being, no group of human beings prior to us, as far as we know, have been contending with a relationship to both themselves and the future as we have been, you know, and so what happens when you have a bedrock of security that delivers to you a, a liberty and freedom and sovereignty like Bitcoin, like what happens internally? And I think we're finding that out and we're seeing it uh, embodied in a lot of Bitcoiners and the philosophies that are emerging through them and the, the way it reorients their value, their internal values and how that dictates their perception and the action that flows from that. And I think, you know, it's still, there's still much to be determined, but just to say that like, a lot of the, let's say the noise internally gets to be dialed down. The noise of your concern about counterparties, the noise about your concern about the access or amount of optionality you have in the future as a result of your savings or that, you know, that, that foundation, all of that's getting dialed down. So the noise is less. And so what fills the void? Well, I think what, what we're trying to do collectively and individually through these conversations is determine what virtues and values and principles should orient us 
now that we've kind of turned down the noise and there's a there's an environment by which we can both hear and be guided by those principles and virtues and and values and i see this represented in bitcoiners all over the place all the time you know they're reorienting themselves toward the things of greater and greater meaning facilitated largely and you know largely facilitated largely by bitcoin um and you, you and these Bitcoiners end up being available to be more compassionate, more generous, more caring, more intellectually stimulated. Like it's, I see that as a big part of what's happening here, you know? So again, I think um, you could use the metaphor of a, of a cathedral to represent a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, as Drew said, it hadn't really occurred to me to think of the metaphor specifically in the context of personal development but I think it, it, it's quite apt. I really like that. So what, what's it been like for you guys to be at the helm of a public company? You know, because there's a lot of more, I guess, obligations to broadly speaking that come along with that versus, and, a, and a very different approach to what you might've been thinking was going to be uh, the work you'd be doing in like a scrappy sort of startup where you don't have to follow as many rules and you can operate in gray zones more and all that kind of stuff. What's it been like to be thrust into the, adult world as quickly as you have been yeah you know it's it's been interesting although i am um i'm a big believer that people basically grow into whatever uh level of responsibilities demanded of them or asked for of, asked of them you know i uh aj and i used to live in new york um and it's funny in new york it seems in particular to be a, a place that um selects or even celebrates sometimes just like immaturity uh, like it seems like many people will grow into their late thirties or forties and still basically live like they were in their you know early twenties, trying to minimize responsibility, whether, whether that's at work, being in a place where you don't really need to make serious decisions, uh, because there's so is, you know, you're such a, it's such a big machine that you're just kind of a small cog or whether it's in personal life too. And they just, you know, fear of, um, making any sort of serious commitment or serious changes because you're trying to maximize the opportunity for future pleasure. Um, and you, you juxtapose that with, you know, people who maybe have lost, lost parents at a very, you know, young age, or, you know, were forced to take responsibility for people younger than them or for their parents um, when they're very young and they, they're able to do that um, and, and grow into that responsibility just fine and do a tremendous job. And so I think, yeah, w w would you have told, you know, if you asked me a year ago, would I have said that I was ready to, uh, you know, help run a, a public company I don't, I don't know if i would have said yes but i think you it's just something that um you, you learn a little more every day you learn what you need to do and you you kind of just figure it out as you go but it's been it's been really rewarding i don't know what, what would you say no i mean that's exactly right like like most milestones in life you're never really ready for them until it comes time to do them and you just kind of go with it and figure it out so step up to the plate learning curve, but it's been a ton of fun and i think yeah. I do you guys job. <laughs> do you guys feel I mean we all probably watch the Bitcoin charts a little bit too much, right? Do you guys now have another chart you watch? Like is the stock performance something that you pay too much attention to or pay close attention to? Well, for better or worse, it's pretty much the same chart, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh but yeah, that's it's the puts and takes of being public. We uh having a liquid stock is a real asset at times, you know, it's, it's a lot easier for us to go out and raise capital to fund some of the growth priorities that we have. Um, 
but it, yeah, the, the downside of that is there's a there's a scorecard on days like today when you know Bitcoin's down to what is it thirty seven thousand, our stock is is largely tracking that trajectory. Yeah, although I think um, yeah, I think I think another aspect of it too that I'd, I'd not really considered before is you know so much of the news is noise. Um, I mean, it seems like you know especially over the last like five years there was just so much noise. Now things could be getting more serious. And I think there, there's, um, there, there, it feels like, I feel more of an obligation now to, to really be paying attention to what's going on in the world more than I did before. Um, but I, I think part of that is because, you know, when you're, when you're in charge of a public company, you, you sort of don't have the luxury of being ignorant of some macro events. Um, you know, thinking about like, if, if you're running a private company, you, you, will raise money at certain intervals. And then in the meantime, you're just sort of deploying that um, as needed. And obviously you're still beholden to some of the same macro trends, but I'd, I'd say it, a little less so. And every Bitcoin miner, whether they're you know aware of it or not is a macro investor. Um, and so it's, you know, it actually is important to be paying attention to what's going on with like global equity markets and geopolitical risk and stuff like that. So, um, it, but it's, I mean, it's, um, it's it's still a ton of fun like yeah. i think much of the, you still have much of the same like emotional roller coaster that you do if you're starting something from scratch now oh yeah because we're still basically in a founder type seat and so it's like the the, the good days are really 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 fucking good and uh there are definitely some some days that are tough um and uh it, it feels really like even on the even on the the shit days honestly it feels really, really good just to be so invested into to be working so hard towards something that you think is important. Um, but it's just like been so fulfilling, um, even already. Yeah. It's only been like five months, but you know that as you were speaking, that's another part of dialing down that noise, right? It's not just about the noise of like what's going to happen in the future and am I going to be capable of meeting it or contending with it or navigating it. But a large part of the noise that a lot of people feel, especially when they're younger, and I say especially when they're younger, because a lot of older people just give up on this pursuit, but it is like, what am I going to devote myself to? What is like the thing most worthy of my commitment and my resources? And part of the reason I think why so many Bitcoiners get to feel the benefit of that noise being dialed down is because it's so obvious that Bitcoin is such a worthy thing to devote your, your resources to, both for individual like selfish gain and for the the benefit to everybody else, you know? And so you get to just those questions become answered and it's way easier to focus on them rather than continually asking yourself, like, is this what I should be doing? Is this what I want my life to be? All that kind of stuff, you know? Um, speaking of macro, what do you guys, I mean, now that you're big shot CEOs and chairmen's and COOs and stuff like that, what, what do you think of what's happening macro wise and in, in equity and all that kind of worlds? Actually, can, can I go back and maybe say one last thing about the comment you made before? Sure. Um, yeah, one, one thing I think it's, it is uh, finding that source of meaning, I think in your life, it re really is like so important um, in, in, in sort of actively deciding like what's something worth devoting my life to and like worth devoting your life to. Um, and, it, you know, I, I think I've kind of always been, been like a creature of belief a little bit myself, but I remember when AJ and I would, would talk back when we were working in investment banking together, or we weren't working together, but we were working basically the same job, uh, PowerPoint rearranging. And it's just like, um, you know, if you, if you had told us at that point in time that we would have found something 
that we thought was so important that, you know, ideally it's a job win for the next few decades. Um, like that's, that's all you can ever really ask for. And I think, especially like, it, it, you know, it's one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin. I'm sure we'll touch on this stuff like later too. So we, we can go back to macro, but um, like just ha having that sense of like a, a higher purpose or like a higher calling, like something that is worth prioritizing and orienting your life around um, is sort of, it's sort of liberating because it's, it's, it's the realization of like realizing what's important and, and like the meaning question. It, it, it's not, it just makes you realize how little doesn't actually matter. And so, you know, you, you, you can make some really massive like compromises that don't even feel like compromises because you're sort of following this principle that you think is, is so important and so worthwhile um, that I think it, it just is absolutely liberating. Uh, even though obviously running a public company comes with a lot more um, call it administrative bullshit, but um, yeah, I, I, I just to riff on that, I actually pity a lot of my, you know, my friends that I made back in my, my banking days, because just sort of juxtaposing the sense of purpose and meaning that we have doing, doing our current job and having kind of like Bitcoin as this North star that, that gives us purpose and comparing that to these other people who are still just kind of wandering around in the dark, clearly searching for something, uh, you know, jumping from, from sector to sector, job to job, whatever, seems to be like the hot new sector. Oh, it's venture capital. Okay. I'm going to go be a VC. Wait, I'm still kind of like terribly unhappy. And, you know, I still ha I don't have a sense of purpose. Maybe I should go be like a product manager at this tech company. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's incredibly liberating to know what you want to do for the rest of your career. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I'm sure that resonates with pretty much everybody listening, especially if they're involved, like if they're working in Bitcoin in some capacity and it kind of, you know, again, we, you, you cannot help but wind up in the territory of religious analogy when you're speaking about Bitcoin on these levels. But, you know, and it makes me think of that idea of, you know, kind of what is the highest value or principle to subordinate yourself to. And people hear subordinate and they think, oh, the opposite of liberation, right? They think of, you know, being captured in some way or being limited in some way. But this is like the, the notion that, that emerges in so many different, you know, uh, systems of religion or tradition or spirituality whereas if you if you subordinate yourself or devote yourself to the correct principle what it actually bestows is a tremendous sense of liberation and i, I think a lot of bitcoiners yeah. are beginning to find that yeah, out. discipline and responsibility equals freedom i'm a big believer in that sort of mantra yeah um and i you know I, it seems like uh -oh. a lot of people feel that and a lot of people are are so john i'm still here can you hear me recorded yo hey sorry about that all good we're still we're still live just fyi great hey folks yeah wi-fi 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 cut out yeah completely dropped i don't know what the problem was but uh glad we got it back up uh i don't remember where we were do you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so AJ, um, we were just talking about the, the power of having something that you think is is so meaningful that it's worth reorienting the rest of your life around. Yeah, um, and that sounds that sounds insane to so many people, right? To to point to something like Bitcoin to be having that effect. But I think what I was saying is it keeps drawing more and more people in, and the, the deeper people go in, like into understanding and learning about Bitcoin, the more 
grip that sort of, you know, the more pull it has in that capacity. And I, you know, I used to say when I was, cause I was working in wealth management in, in Shanghai at the beginning of my career. And we probably felt similarly. I just hated it. Right. I'd wake up and mm -hmm. have no motivation and just, you know, put on my pinstripe suit and look like a massive douche and go into the office and just act like it's just, I hated it. And, um, and I left after two or three years, but you know, the, the thing that kept me going throughout that time was like, I, I realized like the game of life was pretty much to incrementally close the gap between like what you wake up and want to do and are energized to do and find a ton of meaning in and what you have to do because it's the opportunities available to you to, you know, put food on the table and a roof over your head. And I, I used to think like, even if I only achieved that when I'm like 70, it would still be worthwhile because of how amazing it would be to wake up every day and do the thing that you just naturally want to do and love to do. And I'm like insanely grateful and, and happy that it didn't take until 70 and that, you know, something like Bitcoin exists. And, you know, I took the time to understand it. And the more that I do, the more certain I am that it is the thing to align with, to, to, uh, to create a b beautiful life for myself, but also to be a part of something much bigger than myself, you know, and that can, that has, that has the potential to benefit so many people in the world generally. And it's such a good feeling and it's such a, it's such a certainty, right? That's, that's the liberation aspect of it. Like you don't have to second guess yourself all the time. Like, is it the thing? Is it not the thing? Like you were saying about your friends hopping around to different industries, like pretty sure it's the thing. And now you can just focus on refining yourself so that you can, give more to it, right? So that you can engage in it in a, you know, in an increasingly optimized capacity, let's say. Yeah, I think that I think that's totally right. And I think a big putting myself back in that mindset, I think a big uh, of when you're not sure what the thing is yet, I think part of the issue is sort of fear of commitment in a way. Um, where you're just like, what how do I know that this is so important that it's worth doing this? Like, how do I, how do I know that like, I won't regret this? You know, what else, what will I be shutting myself off from? Um, and it's one of the, one of the things that Bitcoin really has going for it is like, you know, what could be, what, what has like a bigger total addressable market say than like money or like what, what is just more fundamental and pervasive in our lives than say money and freedom. And, you know, like what, what important causes to, um to devote yourself towards um yeah and like even if we are wrong and bitcoin fails which i think is a, a pretty small probability at this point it will still have been worth it you know 100%. we're we're dedicating our lives to this cause because it's a worthy cause not because we want to get hilariously rich um and you know that just happens to be a a nice coincidence you know it's yeah it's funny if it's really funny aj you mentioned that i've never i've never told you this but so I've, I've been i've been carrying around these like little notebooks in my pocket for like you know for for a long time um just like mostly jotting down to-do lists but also just like jotting down random thoughts or like taking notes or writing down quotes i like started doing it in college and i i think at one point when i was working in investment banking i um decided yeah basically decided to um uh you consult with psychedelic medicine uh in order to, to help see if it could help 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 me with some of uh the things that i was struggling with at the time and sort of this crisis of meaning that i was feeling um and yeah one of the th things that i'd actually wrote down is sort of like uh maybe as a as a test to 
or you know something to invoke when trying to make this decision is what's something that's worth failing at and mm -hmm. I, and i can't think of if you if you're just like sitting there working you say oh I don't, what industry do i work and what, what what do i want to do you kind of invariably if you're not used to making those sort of decisions uh also thinking about the material benefits like you're talking about john you know um like making sure you you're earning enough money to live the lifestyle you want which if you're working in finance is probably a more expensive lifestyle than you actually need um but yeah just thinking about what is something that that is worth failing at that even if we're wrong and like this all comes like crashing down and bitcoin goes to zero like i I've, it will still be one of the best decisions that i certainly will have ever made yeah i think that's why having a mind like that's why orientation towards the highest good has always been such a fundamental component of whatever system of, of faith or belief uh, you're a part of because, because of that, right? Because it gives you that not only it gives you the liberty to devote yourself fully, right? It removes so many of those questions to say that even if this doesn't work out, whether we're talking about a business or my, my own ambitions in my own life, it's still the best pursuit. And if it doesn't work out, maybe it, it, it was my fault in how I approached it and pursued it, or maybe it was the happenstance of the universe, whatever, but it's still, uh, the, the pathway becomes so much more clear. And this, you know, this is another thing, and you guys are a great example of this. I think we, many of us are to, to a certain degree. Uh, I feel like if you don't do that, if you don't orient yourself properly in the world, the, there's far less of a a tendency or a pull to extract what your full potential is, right? Because you're in some job that you're not fully engaged mm -hmm. with. And you just be like, well, what's the point of, of trying to determine and dig out what my, my highest potential might be first of all, I may not need to, I can get by just doing the spreadsheets or whatever the, the work is. And I don't even, I don't even really want to, like, I don't, I don't want yeah. my best self to be a part of what I'm participating in here. This is like, you know, and in that way, it's it's tragic because we we end up like boxing ourselves in and being a shadow of what we could be just because we're not, uh, you know, we're not enthusiastic or it's not being pulled out of us. But when you do orient towards something that you think is the you know the highest or greatest pursuit, it 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 transforms you because it does put the pressure on you to engage you sufficiently and see like to to pull out that potential. And refine yourself to such a degree that you can align align with that good or that project as much as you possibly can. And so I think a lot of people in Bitcoin, you know, and there's of course there's so many like intoxicating elements of being a part of all this. But one of it really, really is like I think a lot of us were probably somewhat more than average critical of like the state of the world, broadly speaking. And that put kind of like a limiter or a governor on who we chose to be or who, like how we showed up in the world. And now that that governor has been removed because we can actually see a pathway to a world that we actually do want to become more congruent with, that we actually do want to see exist and we see the potential for it to actually happen. I, I think there's like a massive like coming into your potential and like what we just said a few minutes ago mm -hmm. where you guys were like, you kind of meet the, uh, you meet, the, you, you, you rise to meet the situation or circumstance that you've put yourself in. I think there's a lot of that happening in Bitcoin. So where a lot of these Bitcoiners might have been almost somewhat dejected or angry at the world before, and that's certainly not a great basis on which to 
extract the most from you. Now I think it's op- like the landscape of what's possible and the potential that this represents is causing a total 180 in that. And all these people that had been shadows of themselves before are, are figuring out how to step into, you know, a quote unquote higher version of themselves. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. A lot of the most enthusiastic Bitcoiners are former cynics, people who just right. were so depressed about the state of the world and you know the, the things that they looked around and saw and were a little bit hopeless and dejected. And I, I'm I probably put myself in that camp a little bit. Like working in finance, I became very cynical, um, very disillusioned with the the financial and monetary system. And I, I don't know what I'd be doing if I if I hadn't kind of found Bitcoin. So, but think yeah, about think about how you think about yourself in that role. I mean, you you said at the beginning like you're just a cog in this machine, and that machine doesn't even produce a product that you are even you are even proud of, right? You're just a rent seeker, a rent seeker, pencil pusher, whatever. I mean, you're just literally just doing it purely to survive, you know, for self serving reasons or whatever. Uh, versus the opposite, right? Versus now being a part of something that you actually do believe in, or you do want to see, you, you believe in the product of this other machine. Um, like, th- you know, the way that you think about yourself is totally different. Like you go home at the end of a, a day in the former and you're just like, who cares? Like, wh- who am I? Like, yeah. what, you know what, you can understand why there's so much nihilism and depression and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. Cause you, you, you sit back and if you're having a moment of reflection, you're like, what the point is, like, why do I even exist, right? What am I, what am I really contributing to? And in the latter, you know, I, I think now you can easily answer that question because you, you, you have a very visceral feeling and a very clear vision of what the future now might be able to become if this actually works out. And if it, if it extracts the best from us and we, and we apply ourselves to it in that way. And that, then you can say like, oh, I'm trying to be, I know the type of person I'm trying to be and I like that person and I'm going to, lean into that as much as I can. And that, I mean, talk about uh, positive impact on your day-to-day existence and your mental health and well-being and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's tremendous, right? There's a lot wrapped up in this more than just, um, you know, a new monetary system. Totally. And I, I just riffing on a couple of those points, um, thinking about say like the, the fiat finance types, you know, when you're, when you're in a job like that, you basically, you live your life in a pretty hedonistic way because you're just like, okay, I, you, you really, you just have this hole and you're trying to like fill this hole. And your, your thought is that, you know, I, I, I hate my job, but like, Hey, if I go party and have a great time, then, you know, it, it'll, it'll make things like a little bit better. And like, I can, I can do that. You know, I, I wouldn't be able to do that otherwise. And that really just like, it, it, it's just a distraction. It just perpetuates this toxic cycle that you're in. But then, you know, say, say you find something like Bitcoin that you think is worth devoting your life to. Um, and it really is, it's funny how much it reorients the rest of your life too, where, you know, I, I think about being in this job now for like five months um, and having it just be so clear, there's nothing I would rather be doing in the world. Like there's, I cannot think of a, a, a really a better you know, use of my time. And it makes me think about other aspects, you know, relationships, friendships, um, are the are these really people who I who I really care about deeply and who you know make me a better person and and like is this a relationship I really will be happy that I invested in in like 50 years time or um, you know it gives you just like a much greater appreciation for other aspects of life I I actually take like rest and relaxation far more seriously than I used to because it's like yeah I know 
if, if I just bang my head against the wall all day, like, you know, I won't, I won't be able to make the best decisions. I won't be able to do the best for what I think is the most important use of my time. And mm-hmm. so it, it's interesting how it's, it's actually, yeah, it, it, it inspires a lot of change in other aspects of your life that are non-obvious at the time. Totally. I mean, when you think that you're applying yourself in a way that's actually worthwhile, both locally to yourself and broadly to the world, like it's impossible not to value yourself more. And I think part of the reason why there's all this self-destructive behavior, like you mentioned, like this partying and going out and getting wasted, which is what I did when I worked in finance, just to fill that hole, that's self-destructive behavior, obviously. And when you, but when you start to value yourself more, which I think is what is happening with Bitcoin and other people have talked about like how Bitcoin increases, you know, self-love and self-care or is a very form of self-love and self-care and all the different phenomena wrapped up in that, um, you end up, because you value yourself more, all of those things that your life is connected to, you value them more as well, or at least you're more aware of, you know, what's happening in those relationships. So you try to establish a better relationships and you try not to waste your time and you try to, you know, all, all, all of those things that, that stem from simply valuing who you are more. And again, I mean, it's, it's, it's on a level, it's, it's kind of absurd that, you know, a protocol that you can't see or touch on the internet is having this effect, but it seems undeniable that it is having that effect, that it's very like effectively causing people to care about themselves more to value who they are and what, the, what their potential and capacity is more and all the downstream effects that having that perspective on oneself has on everything else you do in your life. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I think, um, I think the concept of like time preference is a tremendous amount of explanatory power for like, not just the, the obvious financial stuff that you see in Bitcoin, but some of this like personal development, spiritual stuff too. Like if, if the future is, is more uncertain, it's not really worth the time and energy and resources to invest in your relationships right. or, you know, your career or the, the more spiritual aspects that we're kind of touching on. Um, but, but as, as you know, your financial future becomes more secure, there's less uncertainty. You can start to expand your sphere of concern out from just the immediate, all right, you know, getting, getting through the week or, you know, meeting your next uh, rent payment or whatever it is. And then you can start to like broaden your, your sphere of concern to other more important, frankly, considerations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And especially in the clown world, clown world we're in today. I mean, just look at how the relationship between, you know, the, the artificially um, dictated interest rate is basically destroying capital, you know? So whether or not you're aware of it or not, like you're engaging in a system that's eating itself. So of course that's not going to instill a very long-term perspective on how you might, you know, optimize the future versus an emerging alternative system that's generating capital at a rapid pace. That's just, again, maybe not consciously, I mean, consciously for a lot of Bitcoiners, but even probably on a subconscious level is allowing you to accept and expect that the future is going to be much bigger, brighter, engageable, filled with potential than you otherwise thought. And of course, that's going to, that's going to influence how you relate to that future, which is all the things that you just said, you know? So there's so much weird, 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 wonderful stuff wrapped up in this. I mean, it's, it's all consuming to think about it and write about it and talk about it and that kind of stuff. Um, what did you guys, 
I noticed on, I think it's on your website or maybe it might be written somewhere else, but back to the kind of nuts and bolts of what you guys have been up to, uh, mm -hmm. you call yourselves the, is it the cockroaches of the Bitcoin mining industry? That's right. We, we were aspiring cockroaches. I don't know if we're right. there yet, but that's the goal. Can you put some meat on that bone? Where did that come from? Why? What's the philosophy? I gets credit for it. I mean, we were just on an investor call one day, sort of like, you know, doing what we do many times a week, explaining to people what our business is, what our kind of strategy is, what differentiates us. And Drew, in a stroke of genius, I don't know where he pulled it out of, uh, just basically made the analogy to, you know, the, the cockroach, which is this, you know, this creature that even even in like a an apocalyptic scenario, so it's like you know a nuclear event where all of human civilization and most uh, you know most life on Earth as we know it is destroyed. The cockroach will will kind of be the last organism uh, surviving, and so like we we use it as an analogy to basically describe how we how we think about the business. If there were some apocalyptic event where you know the Bitcoin price crashed you know, 90% or something and hash rate stayed where it was. We want to be the last miners on the network, securing the chain and earning Bitcoin rewards. How do you put yourselves in a position to be that? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the billion dollar question right there. Uh, no, but yeah, like the, the, the way you do that is there's a couple of things you can do. One, um, you need to vertically integrate. You need to be able to own your infrastructure uh, you need, that's, that's why we, uh, tying it back to Cathedral a little bit, that's why we um, are building out our own modular data centers that we call rovers um, that are, are capable of going wherever the cheapest power is in mining Bitcoin. Um, another key component of that is having just the lowest cost electricity, right? Like the reason, the reason why we want to vertically integrate and own our own, own our own infrastructure is so we can pursue wherever the cheapest power is. Um, you know, and, and, and of course, the, the cheapest power is typically stuff that's wasted. Um, there, there, there's a, a, an insane amount of just waste energy resource out there in the world. I think about how there's enough flare gas each year to power the Bitcoin network seven times over. Um, it's just, there, it, it's really a shame. Think about it from like an entropy point of view. You have this like dense, highly ordered form of energy and it just goes to waste because uh, currently or historically there's not been the infrastructure to utilize that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, th I, th I think lastly is um, being ahead of the curve and, and knowing ways that, you know, if you can, if you can generate more revenue from, uh, you know, a given unit of hash rate or, or, or mining, uh, or given unit of Bitcoin, um, then that really is, is a game changer. So that's, that leads to vertical integration on the other end where, you know, if you can provide financial services as well on top of your Bitcoin, um, the Bitcoin that you mine, then that basically allows you to, uh, you know, just monetize again, your Bitcoin in more ways. And so, I think that that's why our, our dream is there, there's long been this meme of like the full vertically integrated Bitcoin mining company. I think, I, I don't know if this is exactly true, but I think maybe, maybe the, the oldest reference to it we've heard is from a guy named Steve Mosher who used to work at uh, Canaan. Maybe he still does, he, but um, guy who lived in China. Uh, and, and, you know, there, there maybe for like five years now, there's been talk of the perfectly vertically integrated mining company that is everything from the generation resource Potentially the um, uh, owning the ASICs. ASIC design and manufacturing, yeah. Yeah, owning owning and supplying your own ASICs to at the at the upper end, you know, being a um, financial service provider and having it just be all integrated into one company. And so that's that's ideally the company that we want to build. 
Uh, and that's why we're aware that this is a multi-decade long pursuit that we're embarking on. Um, yeah. And that there's always going to be more to do and more to build. Yeah, totally. I think it probably makes more sense to own certain parts of the stack than others. Like, you know, we certainly don't have any aspirations to start, uh, you know, our own foundry or start, you know, designing and manufacturing our own chips and, and mining units. But uh, yeah, certainly down to the energy resource. And then, you know, the, as Drew said, the rovers that sit on top of the, uh, the energy asset and the, the machines that sit inside the rovers. And then, you know, eventually a whole stack of Bitcoin native financial services and products that sit on top of that. Yeah, it makes me kind of think of what Blockstream is doing. You know, they have these container units and they are getting into basic manufacturing or have acquired and then also starting to do financial services stuff with the mining note and volcano bonds and that jazz. And, yeah. you know, it, it it makes so much sense, you know, just to have this ability to monetize energy at source that it would be, you know, I think Rover is actually a good uh, analogy to use because it can just, you have these the energy monetization units that just can like scour the world and wherever they find energy that's being wasted or not being used or could easily be monetized, they just go down and plunk and they're just a well that spits out the most, like, it, it's really incredible once you think about it. Cause you know, you don't need the infrastructure, like basically turning it into the, the greatest form of optionality there is, i.e. money. Uh, negates the need for any of the other infrastructure to bring it to market, to turn it into that anyways, right? So like you skip all the steps and just turn it in, into the thing that you ultimately want and that provides the most optionality anyways. I mean, it's it's kind of staggering to think of. And then having being in that position where you're now the, 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 an energy consumer, probably a producer as well, and the source of, of new money in the system. Can you, I mean- yeah, that's can you guys um, our, speak on that a little bit? Well, so Marty is, I think, maybe most well known for drawing the analogy to, to like, you know, the central banks in, mm. in the hyper-Bitcoinized world, the entities responsible for issuing new units of the currency are, uh, are the, the Bitcoin miners. And so, yeah, I think it's an incredibly powerful analogy and like it's a, it's a useful way to sort of contextualize potentially the role that miners could play in a decade or, or two decades from now. And, and just to, to riff on that a little more, maybe more from the energy side of things. Um, you know, as uh, we, we talked, John, about the article AJ and I wrote uh, called Bitcoin Mining in the Case for More Energy. We originally published it synonymously, uh, and then we released it under our names when we rebranded to Cathedra. Um, in that, we talk about, you know, I'm not sure if this is the, I, I forget where, where this term came from, whether we were the first to use it or whether we heard it from somewhere else, but just Bitcoin mining is a permissionless energy sink um, where you know Bitcoin mining is a way to monetize any energy anywhere in the world. And there's no, no permissions involved, no permitting involved. Um, I think it's really, really powerful in the context of energy markets because uh, yeah, I think energy markets are criminally, criminally underrated when we think about society today. Like energy isn't just another industry. It's, it's the most important aspect of human life. Like we all depend on energy. You need to, food is energy that you need to consume. You need, you need an appropriate temperature. You need running water. If you want to be involved in this increasingly like internet native society that we live in, or, you know, internet driven society we live in, you need energy for that. Um, and the, the more I think about the world, the more I just think it all comes down to energy. All the civilizational advance that we've seen over the last, you know, hundreds and thousands of years, 
is entirely driven by our ability to harness energy outside of our bodies. You think about the, the Neolithic revolution, like the initial revolution, other than, you know, human evolution itself. Um, that was an energy revolution where we learned how to farm and we learned how to produce food on our terms. Irrigation was the ability for us to, to sort of channel energy in a different way. And I think um, it's something that is often, it, 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 actually one, one last just riff on, on energy. This, this um, gentleman by the name of John Constable, who uh, runs and started the Renewable Energy Foundation in England, uh, I think put forward a, an absolutely fascinating idea where if you think about the underlying, um, the underlying commonality across all human wealth, whether that's uh, materials or infrastructure or even ideas and say like software, the, the one common thread across all of that is that it is thermodynamically improbable that if, if not maintained or created, the, just the second law of thermodynamics would lead to entropy and basically the decay of these things. And so as we think about the, the growth of society, as we think about like wealth creation, economic growth, civilizational progress, all that amounts to is reducing entropy locally at the expense of entropy elsewhere. And so I, I think it is, it is just so important that we, we sort of not lose sight of that. And I think that's why, as, as you know, at Cathedral, we champion energy as, as a fundamentally important thing for, the, for humanity, for the future of humanity. And I think that's something that it's increasingly getting lost today in conversation when you hear people talk about, oh, we can move past a uh, energy dependent society. You can have economic growth without energy uh, growth, or you can reduce our energy consumption or degrowth is a viable path forward. And, and the reality is that that is just not the case thermodynamically. Uh, like we, we depend on the ability to harness energy to sustain our own life and to grow more. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's a long, long rant there, but it just, it, the, I've been thinking more and more about it these days. We wrote a little bit about entropy in our, in our piece about a year ago, but um, it, I think it's actually even more important than we realized at the time. Yeah, I, I feel like as with so many things, be it money, monetary policy, economics, energy, like the ubiquity and popularity of Bitcoin is going to help uh, well, it's going to introduce a, a completely novel understanding of some of those topics in a certain way, but it's also going to help people reframe and develop a, a you know a more productive and accurate pers uh, opinion on these things. Like as you said, I mean, energy is downright demonized in many parts of the world today, and by by certain people. And to have a greater appreciation for what energy actually is and its role in civilization, and you know its importance and all that kind of stuff which bleeds into policy and all that kind of stuff, uh, I think will be a result again of just learning about Bitcoin and, and understanding how all those pieces work together. I mean, just, just the implications, because as you say, I mean, like energy is, is fundamental, right? But there, there was always, I mean, we've talked about kind of the, the need for infrastructure to actually bring it to market. And so if you remove that limiting factor, well, then the next one has always been, there needs to be demand to make the, the work required to harness and channel energy worthwhile, right? And that's been kind of a, a limitation on how much energy there ends up being and how it ends up getting used. I mean, what are, you, what are the implications of basically, and this, this goes to the, the energy sink component of what you're just saying, like what are the implications of having basically a limitless demand for energy now? 
like that that seems fairly significant yeah it's profound um it, it incentivizes new forms of generation uh more efficient forms of generation thinking about there there's recently a few, a few weeks ago a pretty major advance in um in nuclear fusion they were able to sustain a uh uh, nuclear fusion reaction for, uh, I think five seconds it was in England, uh, as a part of a big research facility. And, you know, thinking about something like fusion, that's been 20 to 30 years away for the last like 60 years. Um, it, you know, in hindsight, if, if you unlocked, uh, say 30 years ago, you unlocked this tremendous energy generation resource. Um, what would you have done with that energy? You know, you, you at that point in time, and and even up until today, and in, in most most parts of the world, uh, when there's an increase in uh, energy demanded, that's when you call on some power plants to switch on. Uh, but if if there you have more power plants on than you need, you you have to call them to switch off or like disconnect from the grid and curtail. Uh, and and so there's just this there's a, there's even this concept in um, in in energy markets and grids of called like reserve margin. How much energy are you generating in excess of what's demanded? And obviously you want that to be enough so that you are uh, making sure that the grid's supplied at all times. But Bitcoin mining as a flexible load is just so powerful because it just, it, it enables for the first time, say a, a grid paradigm where you have overbuilt generation capacity that's always generating well in excess of what humans need. And you have a flexible load that's doing the load following, but on the demand side. And, and I, I think that is, is tremendously powerful for, say, technologies like nuclear that have historically been uh, relegated to what's called base load generation, meaning you only you only want nuclear uh, as much nuclear generation as the minimum demand from the grid, whatever, whatever ask for. And Bitcoin mining fundamentally changes that. And so you have now the ability to have highly dense generation, which, you know, the, the, the more dense the generation, the less land use and the less ecosystem disruptions required. Um, you know, if, if you're comparing like nuclear to wind, you'd need massive swaths of land that are basically destroying local ecosystems uh, if you want to generate that with wind. And then it's still not reliable. But if you have nuclear, you could have a few dense generation resources that provide more than enough electricity for an energy for uh, humanity. And Bitcoin mining is, is basically that sponge that's soaking up that energy that's providing a, a uh, economic incentive to have energy resilience, which is increasingly being called into question. Is this? Yeah, just, just to add to that, I think um, at the very least on a long enough time scale, mining reduces the cost of energy or, or leads to a general decline in energy prices, just given the fact that it's going to incentivize new and more efficient forms of generation. And I think something as simple as that is, is like deeply profound. Especially, you know, as Drew was saying, how energy is kind of the fundamental resource, the fundamental input for all other goods and services. So if you can reduce the the cost of energy, you're reducing the cost of everything else. And that's like, it's it's almost the same thing as saying like you're directly increasing the wealth of the world, uh, because really money is just sort of a way to like measure or gauge the cost in terms of energy to to produce something, or that's what it should be at least. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean. The, the the downstream effects cannot be overstated. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess part of it is it brings extreme competitive pressure to the pricing of energy, which in all cases means that the price comes down, you know, the more you ratchet up competition. Is this what you guys meant in the piece um, uh, by when you said inverting the energy grid, whereby, you know, you have this maybe even dominant 
or primary use of energy, which is just the sink that is Bitcoin mining that can just take up all energy everywhere. And as and when needed for productive uses, whether it be heating a city or whatever the hell else, uh, it can be lended or directed toward those uses while not affecting the general incentive and energy generation you know, matrix, yeah. globally speaking. I think that's exactly right. Like instead of today, which happens on a lot of grids where the, the amount of generation is dialed up and down in response to demand on the grid, you could have like a constant uh, level of generation and it's the demand from the Bitcoin miners that are dialing up and down to right. basically accommodate uh, businesses and consumers that are looking to use that energy and are willing to pay more for it perhaps. That's so cool. I mean, like, so whatever source of power gets developed and comes online, it can all just plug into Bitcoin and, you know, the, the profitability will likely be squeezed over time, but it can, it, you can just plug it into that. And when there's a valid productive use as determined by the market, right? Hopefully not as determined by, you know, fiat overlords in, in the future, <laughs> exactly. Then it can be directed toward, the, toward those uses and you maintain like a perfect efficiency of, of cost and market market forces. Yeah, let, let no energy be wasted. And, and I, yeah. I think it's also really important because we, if we look back over the course of like, say energy uh, transformations that have happened or energy transitions that have happened through human history, that's typically, you know, typically how it's worked is there's been a discovery of this new, say like resource. And then we spend a lot of time figuring out how to actually use that resource. But we, we basically will grow into the power of whatever energy generation or energy resource we develop. Um, and, and it can take, you know, it, some, sometimes it, it, it takes a, it maybe takes a while, but humanity will find a use for that energy. And so, yeah, as, as Bitcoin miners, I, th I think, um, you know, Brandon Quidden talked about how, you know, Bitcoin sort of like this pioneer species. Uh, and, and I think that's, um, it, it's very appropriate here where it's like, we, we can incentivize new generation and then humanity will find a way to use that because what does that new generation do? It, it, it basically, and this is an idea that, um, you know, it, it, AJ has spoken about before and, and wrote about in the piece, but um, it's, it sort of gives more energy beyond our, our own like limited bodies. It gives us the ability to harness more and more things and basically have more and more like human equivalent of, 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 uh, of work being done uh, for, for the benefit of humanity. And I think just even in a more like practical, tangible level, think about much of the world right now without stable electricity, stable refrigeration, maybe still has to go rely on picking, you know, destroying local ecosystems, gathering wood to, um, to, you know, burn a fire so that they can have the energy needs that their family needs uh, or have their, the energy needs of their family met. Um, it's, it's really, we're going to need a ton of energy to lift those people out of poverty and to bring those people out of poverty. Bitcoin mining is here to help and here to incentivize that generation, ideally from dense fuels that do not, uh, you know, require tons of resources to, um, to, as inputs. And then I, I think, yeah, you can jump well, in, but yeah. So th this is maybe a little bit tangential, but it's just a thought that occurred to me that I think is pretty exciting. Our ability to, our ability and our, our knowledge of, and the tools we have at our disposal to like develop new energy resources, those are all also limited by the resources we have today. So like you, you could think back to sort of prehistoric man, maybe like, I don't know, a Native American tribe that has built its camp on like, you know, a massive shale deposit or something like that. They're, they're sitting on like this incredible energy resource, but they're not able to harness it and use it to their advantage because they lack the tools and frankly, the energy resources 
to extract that and turn it into you know additional energy to to continue to improve their situation. Um, so so like as we as we develop further technologies and and more energy resources, we by definition cannot even know like what what future energy resources are going to be made available to us by sort of unlocking that. One hundred percent. In fact, it reminds me of something John John Constable has written about as well. We talks about how King King Alexander the Great. Um, they, they stumbled on oil uh, yeah, when, right. they were, when they were going through, I think when they were marching through Persia and they stumbled on oil, they, they had no idea how valuable and like dense of an energy resource that was that probably, I mean, there's a break even you could do of the, the called barrels of oil equivalent that his army would use on a daily basis, but they did not have the, the requisite infrastructure to make use of that. And that infrastructure is cumulative to your point. Yeah. And, and that's one of the scary things now that we see, like thinking about a lot of, um, a lot of these current energy policies designed around creating an energy transition. I mean, there was just an article in the Washington Post about it the other day filled with self-contradictions or just issues talking about a the viability of a renewables-only grid. And, and that's one of the really scary things about moving to call it a renewables-only grid that's really only made possible by like heavy subsidies for wind and solar. Um, you know, it, it, hoping for battery technology that that has not yet fully been um, proven out at utility scale is not really economic at utility scale. And one of the concerning things about it is it leads to more um, energy insecurity, potentially in, in the developed world. We're already seeing it with, with California. We're already seeing it here in the US and in Europe with the, with the energy crisis. And the thing that's really scary is these heavily subsidized renewables are sort of hollowing out grid infrastructure or a stable energy infrastructure. Um, even even things like nuclear are getting shut down, uh, even though ostensibly nuclear would be great for net zero carbon emission um, energy goals. And it, it's just scary to see because if we continue to dismantle sound energy infrastructure, it's it's a lot easier to go down the slope than it is to to build your way back up. Yeah, com compounding goes both ways. And this sort yeah. of reminds me of the, the the fragility of civilization and the thermodynamic improbability of this this like little bubble of order that we've created for ourselves in the universe yeah can all very as with so many things you know the bureaucrats have no appreciation for the value of things and the the foundation upon which and the 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 process of development that led to the things that they so frivolously dismiss you know and i agree i mean and and Thank God for Bitcoin, right? Because it's bringing a free market back, to, free market forces back to this, you know, and this industry and, and these decisions, perhaps just in time, you know, because it is tremendously concerning about how the whims of bureaucrats can dictate people's access to energy. And uh, as we say, as we've been saying, it's the most fundamental thing there is, and it it, it di dictates and determines quality of life perhaps more than anything. And for that to be at the whim of someone who just has a false notion of environmental concerns around energy production or, or whatever, whatever their ideology is, is, is peak fiat and peak, peak clown world, you know, but it, you know, that makes me think it may be, you know, we, we, we tend to determine uh, the development of, of a place by the per capita, G, per capita GDP, right? But maybe in the future, it'll be per capita, you know, insert energy unit per person. Because as you said earlier, I mean, if this is how if, if that's the if the ability to harness energy is the means by which people can uh, reduce entropy locally, let's say, you know, have the ability to do more work in their local environment, then that seems to be the thing that would fight off deprivation 
and actually, you know, back to our conversation earlier, I mean, it's almost like the more energy you have, well, obviously the more potential you can access, right? Mm -hmm. You're a critical component of that equation. So the less energy units per person, the more in a state of deprivation, the more noise that we were referring to earlier, and the less you're able to dig in, explore and extract the potential of yourself and therefore the collective that you're a part of, even if we're talking about humanity as a whole, the more access to energy each person has, the more they're able to resist entropy, the more they're able to navigate the chaos of being, and the more they're able to uh, extract potential from themselves, right? So, you know, again, back to kind of the spiritual domain, like energy very much is a means of not just doing work in the world, but extracting something uh, from oneself, right? To giving one the tools to see, you know, to, to explore and manifest the internal uh, world to some degree, you know, whether that just be, well, yeah, in all capacities, probably, you know, as you said with Alexander, like, you know, not having the infrastructure to actualize a denser form of energy, like the oil he came upon, like his, the, he was far more limited in what he could actually do. Now you might be critical of Alexander as a conqueror and a tyrant and all that kind of stuff. But point being just that the more your energy you have available to you and that you can deploy, the more you're able to at least reveal who you are, whether or not that's good or bad. And, you know, I think then, then we come back around to all these spiritual considerations of saying like, well, when I have that type of power, what do I want to manifest in the world? Mm -hmm. You know, and that gets back to a, that, that places greater emphasis on the determination of values and principles and all that kind of stuff that is happening in Bitcoin land and that we discuss. But when you're in a relative state of deprivation, all that goes out the window because there's far much, there's far more anxiety and pressure and noise around uh, meeting, staving off the deprivation rather than determining what should be the potential you want to actualize or, or something like that. I agree with all that. Yeah. I think that's very well said that, um, you know, it's, we're only even able to have these sophisticated, you know, high level, like abstracted discussions about energy and about money because we have sufficient energy infrastructure that allows for, for us to live in these increasingly complex and abstract societies. Um, you know, if we were, if we went back 20,000 years, we'd all probably still be, you know, we'd be looking for food and like, yes, we'd be, we'd probably be chatting around a fire, uh, at some point, but you know, the, the, the reality is that these are all, we're only privileged to have these discussions and engage in these debates because of the energy infrastructure that was built before us. Um, exactly. And then the, the other thing I think that, you, you know, you touch on with sort of the idea of like um, energy, you know, consumption per capita, really that, you know, if ener energy um, and energy really is the ability to do work or the ability to enact change on the world, just a, and a, the most basic physics. And so, I think that that's exactly true. And it shows that there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Like if, if one country reduces its energy consumption, and I think it's especially true with say like CO2 emissions, if one country reduces CO2 emissions, oftentimes they're really just exporting their CO2 emissions to another country. You know, if you think about European countries deindustrializing and like getting rid of um, a lot of their industrial capacity, they're exporting that energy consumption elsewhere. Yeah. So they, they, they can say, okay, we're, we're relying more on renewables. That means less energy, more expensive energy. Um, we, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're doing better now because we have less energy that we're generating uh, and it, it's more expensive. But they're, they're still importing the same goods or using, for the most part, the same goods that are just coming from 
uh, areas that are, are kind of taking, you know, footing the energy bills, so to speak. Um, and a lot of times those, you know, it works great for policies because the country can say that they've reduced their CO2 emissions, they reduce their energy consumption. But in, real, in reality, like it just depends on where you draw the line of the system because that's still happening. That entropy has to go somewhere. And really yeah. that entropy is going to, to industrializing nations, say in, in, um, in other parts of the world, maybe China or elsewhere. And, and I think um, it's, just, it's just frustrating to see sometimes that there's like a very limited perception around uh, you know, th these policies are, are just very, very limited piece of a much more complicated puzzle. Um, because at the end of the day, if you, the other second order effect that's maybe even more relevant, and, and sorry, I'll stop ranting about energy after this, but, you know, increasing energy prices are really a regressive tax on the poorest members of society, right? And so if, if someone, if someone's living paycheck to paycheck and their energy bill doubles, that's, that's the difference between them being able to feed their family and them not. And that's why you see say people hit the street saying Kazakhstan when energy prices increase too, too drastically because people just can't, can't survive. And so it's, it's easy for, for the COP26 private jet squad to, to go and say, uh, you know, we need less, more expensive energy, but it, it has direct human costs um, to the people who are least equipped to defend themselves in, in those like globalist forms. Yeah. One other thought on, you know, somewhat related thought on, uh, John, your point about things like GDP being a, a, basically a lower signal metric than something like energy consumption per capita. I mean, the, the ultimate hope in a free market and on something like a Bitcoin standard, you know, where you have a sound money is that your Bitcoin denominated wealth is actually like a pretty good approximation of the amount of energy that you're able to really save other people, right? Because if, if I go to the marketplace and I offer you a good or service, really the primary reason that you're going to give me money in exchange is because it would cost you more in terms of energy to go out and procure that same good or service yourself without the division of labor. And so as you accumulate more and more wealth denominated in you know, a sound form of money in a, a free market, that like ideally should be a pretty good approximation of your ability to save others uh, energy and, and provide value to the marketplace. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And to Drew's point, I mean, just another of the many fiat sleight of hands that, you know, permit uh, certain countries or factions to act virt virtuous when, you know, the basically the uh, the downstream effects or the the consequences are just being outsourced or or placed somewhere else, right? But they're off off their books and off their uh, image, you know, and that allows them to uh, feel good about themselves. The other thing is, you know, I think this is this hasn't been discussed too much, but it's it's something that I like to think about is when you have the ability to turn energy into the greatest source of optionality there is, which is an incorruptible money let, like Bitcoin, let's say, a lossless money like Bitcoin. I can't. It seems to me that there is no greater use of energy because of what turning energy into that form of optionality actually does when it's used out in the world in terms of determining the most efficient use and coordination of resources. And so in my mind, that means that, you know, I know there's a lot of discussion about renewables and this and that, but it, it almost seems to make a case for whatever source of energy you have, even if it's filthy, it's still worthwhile to turn that to, to extract that energy, to turn it into Bitcoin, because the act of doing that is going to 
uh, optimize the efficiency and coordination of all resources in relation to the demands, the true demands of the market participants. And if the market participants really value different forms of energy, then they will be reflected in those preferences and choices, you know, probably in fairly short order. So like the, the, the name of the game should really just be, you know, devote energy to turning it into this form of optionality. But of course, there's a lot of ideological mud to get through to, to come to that perspective, let's say. Yeah, and I think, think I think this. Yeah, so it's 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 it is. I think on principle, yes, I agree. Uh, I think though that I, I'm 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 probably yeah. I'd say um, like a high energy environmentalist or a like I'm, I'm a. I think humanity and human value is like the starting point. Um, like, I think for me, the starting point is like the preservation of like human consciousness and like the advancement of human consciousness. I think, um, would I, do I, do I think Bitcoin mining would like, would I, would I personally go gather up all the, the timber in the world and all cut down all the trees and like gather all the coal just to, to mine, mine some Bitcoin? Like personally, no, like I think there you, one but thing would you be about, able to, would that be, would that be competitive? I don't think it'd be economically viable. Yeah. Like, I don't, I think, I think the, I think the reality is that you, there's serious economies of scale when it comes to energy density. And so the more dense form of energy will win in the end. That that's, that's my belief. So I don't think it really comes to that, but like, you know, I do, I, do, I, I yeah. I'm, I'm curious to your AJ's thoughts, but I, I think sometimes that like, I, though, though it's often been weaponized, I do actually think climate change potentially is is happening. Like there's evidence to suggest that increased CO2 emissions are increasing uh, global temperatures, and there's a lot of debate around the downstream effects. But I do, I, I do think even asserting hum, like humanity as the starting point of value and as like the the thing that we should be solving for, uh, like anti-human policies, I, I'm fundamentally against. I do think there's a point where potentially excess environmental harm harms humans as well. Um, can I, no, can for, I just jump yeah. jump in before we pass it over to AJ? And I know we're coming up on time, guys, so I only got one more after we get through this. But um, let's say that now, I guess it's my contention that now we have a pristine way of signaling preferences, i.e. through mm -hmm. something like Bitcoin, whereas in fiat, it's not pristine, right? There's a lot of other information in that signal because of the way that its supply can be changed and it can... If, and capital can be redirected. So if we have a pristine method of signaling preferences, then would that not be self-regulating? Like, I feel like this, this kind of uh, avoids the tragedy of the common sort of argument, because let's say that, I mean, again, I don't think it's viable, so maybe it's not a good example, but whatever dirty use of energy and the real world negative uh, impacts that that's having, would that not be as a result of this pristine signaling reflected in market prices and would the preferences not adjust around that to correct for that negative externality? I, th I think you would need to, you would need to grant a lot of other assumptions. Like for example, all resources would need to be privately owned. All you, you would need to be able to, yeah, basically through through the courts extract monetary damages from people who who did impose 
environmental externalities on you such that um, you know you could you could basically punish that sort of mm-hmm. uh, social behavior. But I think what, the gist of what you're getting at is true, and, and I think to your to your earlier point. I think maybe one like a slightly different way of wording what you're trying to get at is like the mining Bitcoin and ushering in a sound monetary system based on Bitcoin should be our highest priority because as long as fiat is allowed to survive, it corrupts the the pricing mechanism and the market signals in every other good and service, including energy. Mm-hmm. And it results in all sorts of environmental damage. So until we can rid ourselves of the the money printer, and sort of the, the institution of seniorage and all the malinvestment and mispricing that that attends it, we should be primarily focused on, you know, using as much energy as possible to to mine Bitcoin and bring about the end of that system. Is yeah. that is that kind of what you're getting at? Because once once you have the Bitcoin standard, you can the preferences are of the market are allowed to express themselves in a much more pure way, and you don't have the sorts of malinvestment in in goods and services that do end up harming the environment. Yeah, basically, yes. And I, I agree there there were a lot of assumptions wrapped up in and perhaps a bunch a lot of idealism as well wrapped up in my uh my assertion because it kind of uh only works if we're coming from the standpoint of like a fully hyper bitcoinized world and all the things that that would mean rather than coming out of clown world yeah. as we are today. Um but kind of on that point, my last one for you guys is um you make you use the term Nakamoto ratio, which I believe is from Dhruv. Bansal at Unchained uh, in the piece. And I think a lot of us have long thought that like Bitcoin's share of the en- uh, energy mix, I mean, we we're just talking about how it could be like the primary energy sink from which all other energy needs kind of borrow when they need it. Um, Bitcoin's energy share of energy use would increase over time as Bitcoin becomes more valuable, as more energy resources are devoted to the network. Um, and I've recently seen Pierre chirping up, and I haven't really dug into yeah. his argument yet about how this is not the case and Bitcoin energy use will actually go down over time. Uh, what do you guys think about the future of how much energy Bitcoin uses as a share of, let's say, total global production? So it's funny you mention that because I know the exact series of tweets that you're referring to, and it's it's really re- made me reconsider my my exact stance on this um ultimately like what what bitcoin miners are doing is we're we're basically selling transaction finality or or transaction confirmations to the bitcoin network and it's sort of a free market right like if um if users of the bitcoin network ultimately decide that the level of finality or confirmations or security they're currently receiving from the miners is insufficient they will raise transaction fees and incentivize more miners to come online and marshal more energy resources to provide more security to users of the network. Conversely, if it turns out that we're actually over-securing the network, uh, you may see the opposite happen. And like miners might fall offline, there might be less energy used to confirm transactions. I'm not really sure how you determine whether it's secure enough uh, presently. We're not we're not seeing 51% attacks, so that that leads me to believe that it's secure enough. It may may even be oversecured. So I could see a world where like the 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 efficiency of the energy being yeah basically Bitcoin as a system becomes more energy efficient. We don't end up using. It may be the case that like the the curve of energy consumption by the Bitcoin network levels off as 
people realize, okay, this is already a really secure system and we don't actually need that much more security based on uh, what, what users are demanding from the miners, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that does make sense. I guess the another element of the argument would be if Bitcoin becomes base layer money and however much value is contained therein, won't that continuously be, well, for, first of all, the, the, the comp that will probably draw in more competition for people to uh, you know, profit from that service, but won't it also just constantly keep the calculus of the cost of attack versus the reward of being successful in that attack? And as Bitcoin increases in price or the network increases in value, would that not, uh, would that not have yeah. an effect on this calculation? Yeah, I think that's exactly right, but personally. And like, if, if you really think of a truly hyper-Bitcoinized world, um, you know, the, the price of Bitcoin or like the, a single Bitcoin will be able to command more and more um, action in the real world uh, and, and channel more and more real world energy. And so, yeah, I, I think, I think you, you eventually end up in a situation where even like 30 years down the road, there's still a tremendous demand for Bitcoin. Um, it, you know, it becomes tremendously even more valuable than, than it is today or like what we think called, called like the fair market value of Bitcoin should be today or not fair market value, but like what, what, our, what our price target is today. And I think um, the other thing too is that mining will eventually just totally saturate the energy sector, I think in, in many ways. And so as, as there's more and more of an incentive to develop ASICs quite quickly and for, for uh, low cost, um, and you see mining just saturate the energy sector. And we talk about in the article, whether it's behind the fence at a power plant uh, or whether it's on the grid level or maybe going and taking advantage of flare, uh, waste resources that are stranded. Um, I, I think there there's will be a ton of, uh, Bitcoin mining will still be quite, quite prevalent. And I'm, I, I don't think uh, we're anywhere near the point where the capacity of the Bitcoin network is near leveling off. But again, I think that's for the best for humanity. I think that's a very, a very good thing. Like the, in, in some ways, the key friction around the, the margins and the, the increased expansion of the Bitcoin network right now is really around ASICs and like ASIC depreciation. Like, you know, how, how many ASICs can be produced per year? Uh, how long will they last? And like that is the, the key piece of friction and efficiency that's good for us miners because it increases the barrier to entry for a lot of people to go and get into mining in the energy sector. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, eventually that, that too will be whittled down. Uh, and so you'll see Bitcoin mining will be much more, um, much, much more uh, ubiquitous than it is today, but much lower margin. And so yeah. that's why it's important to vertically integrate and, you know, start owning energy assets and be able to say sell electricity to the grid or sell energy to people, uh, alternatively providing financial services and having that expertise. Um, that, that's really why this is like, this is the beginning of a, of a much bigger company. It just it happens that right now, all we do is buy ASICs and, and mine them. Sure. Yeah, I, I haven't thought too deeply about this yet, and I need to familiarize myself with Pierre's argument more. But it, it seems to me maybe an aspect of making such a determination is uh, to what degree will the incentive to compromise the security of the network change as the value of the network or the value of the tokens grows? Like that seems to be a big factor to consider there because you totally. know if it levels off then sure but if it if it kind of grows in tandem then it stands to reason that the security budget would have to grow as well so i guess yeah. we'll find out 
Yeah, that's it's a super interesting idea. I'm not sure. Yeah, like you said, I'm not sure exactly. I haven't spent a ton of time thinking about it, but it is an interesting argument. Yeah. Well, boys, uh, if you've got nothing else you want to shill or chat about, uh, I really appreciate the time today. And it, it's been great to finally catch up. And hopefully we'll be uh, talking more at a beefsteak with sticky hands in Miami in not too distant future. So uh, any last words before we shut it down? I would love nothing more than that, John. Um, no, just thank you for having us on. Big fan of everything you do. Keep up the great work. And uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that, Drew. Yeah, um, echo that. I think the uh, I really like that um, Messiah piece that you came out with uh, a couple months ago. And uh, so, yeah, I feel like the, the, the intersection between Bitcoin and religion is thoroughly underexplored and needs some more thought. But um, I mean, I think the, the one thing that I would just like hope, and I think Bitcoin is doing a good job of this, but just more and more people are, are taking this, this sort of meaning-driven uh, approach to life to heart, and that Bitcoin is making more and more people think about their life as a potential like vessel to make this, to improve this world and to improve humanity. And, and yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of really, really hard work to be done. So I hope more and more people ditch the pinstripes and, and start trying to build stuff that will matter in the long term. Totally. Amen. And uh, we'll dig into some of the more esoteric stuff, maybe uh, at the beefsteak when we've got a few beers in us. But uh, yeah. boys, keep up the great work. I really love what you guys are doing and I wish you all the best and we'll talk again soon. All right. Appreciate it, man. Have a See good one. Guys.